What's up everyone? It's episode 10 and the end of the first season of Powerful Possibilities, ADHD, Newly Diagnosed and Beyond. I'm ADHD coach Catherine and this is our last episode for this season. I want to say thank you for your company, your wonderful reviews, your support, your questions. I've loved hearing from people who've listened and enjoyed the podcast so far. Please keep those questions coming. Let me know what you want me to cover next. I'm here to help you. In 2024, I'm running a series of webinars and workshops online, which I'm going to invite you to attend through the podcast, through my website. And I really hope that you are interested in those. I can't wait to share them with you. We will be looking at executive functions and processing modalities. We'll be looking at a new way to set goals and achieve your vision that doesn't involve smart goals. We'll be thinking about how you can use the power of different tools that I've discovered through coaching. And we'll be thinking about what does ADHD mean in a family and what are the best family tools that you can use either in your partnership, in your business or in your home. All of these and more will be announced in January 2024 and I can't wait to share them with you and see you there. This episode, we're going to recap briefly time and why ADHD brains find it so challenging. We're going to dive into three of the things I see most commonly getting in the way of clients when they want to do things. And a clue here is not time blocking. And then we're going to look ahead to our next season. Last week, we looked at time and why the neurological structure and functioning of the ADHD brain means that we might find it a bit more challenging to understand things that are further in the future and how to structure our time in those places and how we can plan ahead even with a neurologically different brain. Last week when we looked at time I made it very clear that it wasn't about productivity. It was about understanding the nature of how we perceive and experience time as people with ADHD brains. We covered how the structure the the kind of masses, the volume of our brain and the neurotransmitters in our brain sometimes make it more difficult for us to experience the passage of time, the speed of time and to look further ahead. Um, We discussed briefly how our emotions and our connection to the future us can make long-standing changes and long-standing plans more difficult for us to really understand. But we did cover some of the positive ways that we can interact with time and how to think ahead. And if you want to go back and listen to the last 10-15 minutes of last week, you will be able to hear the positive and practical strategies that I suggested you might want to explore. And this week, we're going to look ahead at how we get things done, how the things like procrastination, prioritisation and things like inertia or ADHD paralysis can get in the way of getting into action within time that we may have set out for ourselves. And the way we're going to do that, and I like to set this out up front, is we're going to look at emotions in ADHD and why that is so important when we're thinking about any activities or planning that we do, what procrastination is and some of the many causes of procrastination, how we can prioritise And what happens when we don't really care about what we have to prioritise? We're going to look a little bit at inertia, where that comes from, what it feels like and what we can do about it. And then I'm going to finish up with a little bit about emotional awareness. I'm aware as a podcaster, I'm supposed to not tell you stuff up front so that you listen all the way through. And I think next season I might be doing things slightly differently 
making these episodes structured in a way that is even more ADHD friendly. But if you've got ideas, if you've got feedback on what you've heard so far, I would love it if you could let me know. You can find me on Instagram at ADHD underscore coach underscore Catherine. That's usually where I pick up my messages or you can email me directly if you go to the show website. But let's get back to our topic today, which is how to get stuff done when you have ADHD. It might seem strange that we begin with emotions and ADHD when we're talking about planning, prioritising, etc. But emotional regulation is, I think, one of the core elements of ADHD. And somebody like Dr. Russell Barclay agrees, who am I to disagree? I think almost every other challenge that we face is in the context of what happens when we experience emotions, strong emotions at that. When we experience a strong emotion, our brain attends to it. So we might be less able to focus. We might have a harder time planning. We find it more challenging to think ahead and to calm ourselves down so that we can take action because our brain is using all these resources to manage how we feel because our emotions create physical sensations and if those physical sensations are uncomfortable we will attend to that before anything else. I have to say that one of the studies I've mentioned in the show notes today says that emotional dysregulation is more challenging for ADHD school pupils than any inattention. I would agree with that. If you look at young people who are dysregulated in school there's no way they're going to be able to focus or study and the same thing applies in the workplace or in the home if you're working at home. If you're upset, if you're frustrated, if you're feeling angry or guilty or hurt, focusing on work, unless it is really incredibly rewarding and interesting, is not going to happen until you are back in a place of regulated space, until your body knows that you're not under threat, you're not feeling anxious, there's no bear about to jump out on you. And that's why we need to focus on emotional regulation before any of the other stuff. We need to think about emotional regulation not as a way of feeling incredibly calm and zen and all these wonderful things which are really valuable but in an appropriate emotional space for our circumstances. If you're standing and having a really intense argument with somebody you're not going to feel regulated and that is appropriate but if you're sitting at your desk and you're still feeling upset and your heart is pumping and you're sweating and you're feeling really tense in your muscles from an argument that you had at home before you left three hours ago that's dysregulated if you're anticipating difficult circumstances in a relationship or a friendship or something or you're worried about a meeting that you're going to have later today and it's not relevant right now that's dysregulation if you're feeling really ashamed and guilty about something that is normal and human and that most people would be able to shrug off. That's dysregulation. And it shows up physically for us. All of these things are signs of emotional distress, emotional impact, because we feel it in our bodies and we express it. And one of the other problems, I think, is that when we feel emotionally upset, we communicate that to other people and we may not be aware of. So there's a huge social impact from our emotional dysregulation, which then causes more upset because other people either stay away or they make comments or they depending on the kind of person they might enjoy that and play up on it so becoming emotionally aware intelligent and 
developing your skills of self-regulation, which you can do, everybody can do it to an extent, is really important before you do any kind of productivity or planning, any of that stuff. People with ADHD are three times more likely to have moderate to severe depression than people with autism. And that was from a study in Nature earlier this year. Why does this matter? Because when people think of ADHD, they still think of people who are wired and up and energetic and you know, the very hyperactive kinetic type of ADHD. And I'm sure there are people out there who will say, well, that's not ADHD. No, but these things can occur at the same time. They frequently do. And I'm quoting from a paper, not my own research. And of course, when we're in a period of depression or low effect, we can feel demotivated. We can feel under-activated. Our dopamine can feel less engaged than usual. But more importantly, we have a very negative self-perception. And a negative self-perfection is going to affect how you take action. It's just that when we have an ADHD brain, the negative self-perception can lead to intense rumination and keep us stuck and not taking action that could get us out of the position we don't want to be in. The other thing I want to say about emotions is that anxiety and excitement can also affect how we take action. Some of us experience anxiety and it can be a dampener. It can make you unable to move. Some people it can present as extra activity, but unfortunately it's not likely to be in the area that you need to focus on because you're looking for something that gets that nervous energy, that anxiety out. So if you can use your excitement as a, a catalyst for action, fantastic. If you're a person who is anxious and it's keeping you held in place, you need to address the anxiety, not by a new planner. We also need to acknowledge overwhelm in ADHD and the impact that has on getting things done. When we are overwhelmed, we're likely to just sit there and not do anything or become emotionally dysregulated and not take effective action. Overwhelm can come from a few places, but most commonly with people with ADHD, I see it as people taking on too many tasks at once. We're unable to say no, either because we have no boundaries we have an unrealistic expectation of what we can do in the time that we have available. Or we may be people who just don't want to upset others. We have such a low opinion of ourselves. We say, yes, we want people to feel good. People pleasers. You might also be feeling overwhelmed because of sensory stimulation. And although people often think of sensory issues as an autistic challenge, it happens a lot in ADHD as well. So, all of these factors together can leave us feeling cognitively overwhelmed, which means that emotionally we're more reactive and our energy disappears when we don't do anything because it's just too much, especially at this time of year, which is December. And what's interesting is that although neurotypical people can also experience overwhelm and burnout, People with ADHD tend to avoid negative emotions and negative circumstances far more than people without. So if you have a circumstance that you feel is going to be negative, with ADHD you're much more likely to avoid it in anticipation. And that's a very classic ADHD circumstance for overwhelm. So your emotions have an incredible impact on how much you can do within a day. More so with ADHD because our brains are allocating so many resources to keeping us regulated, which means appropriately 
emotionally responding and attending to the circumstances and the situation that we're in. If you're recently diagnosed or you're re-evaluating your diagnosis, it's worth taking some time away from making big decisions if you can so that you approach them with enough energy to make the right decision, take the right action when you've got enough resources mentally rather than forcing yourself to carry on. So let's look briefly at procrastination because that's a huge one for people with ADHD. Everybody procrastinates. If you're human, you will procrastinate. But with ADHD, it becomes chronic, persistent in almost all circumstances. Even when it's something that you want to do, you can find yourself putting it off. Quite often, this is linked to our emotional state. Of course, there are many reasons for procrastination, but one of them is fear. A fear of failure, a fear of judgment, a fear of uncomfortable circumstances, of not meeting your own standards, those of others. It could be called perfectionism, but lots of people with ADHD don't expect to be perfect, but they are very scared of failure or being perceived as failures. And if that's the case, you will hesitate to take action. And because you've hesitated, your brain thinks, I don't want to do this. I'm just going to stay on my phone for half an hour. I've remembered another urgent task, putting my laundry away, something like that, rather than take action that is difficult, painful, challenging, or could lead to feelings of failure and judgment. Procrastination is a kind of form of self-care. Quite often, it's a short-term mood repair. You are putting off a feeling that is going to be uncomfortable and challenging. And rather than do that, you do something that makes you feel good in the short term. And as we all know, avoidance rarely helps in the long term. If you've ever had a, a phobia or any other kind of anxiety and you've dealt with it by avoidance, you'll know that long term avoidance doesn't work. The same thing is true for people with ADHD. The difference is that we get stuck there and the avoidance can become quite epic. And this is especially true if you're doing something that is good for your future self, but your short term self doesn't want to do. When we think about fear of failure, it speaks to us prejudging what the result is going to be. Even if we have succeeded in the past, it's quite common for people to think, I'm not going to do it this time. It's more difficult. So we avoid it and we procrastinate to avoid taking that action. You might also be someone who said, I'm just not in the mood. I need everything to be right before I begin. And this is something that I see quite often in business owners who are self-employed or they're running a company or they're taking things a step further and it's just not quite right yet. Oh, just wait. There is a very good argument for starting now and doing it imperfectly and that kind of rapid, repeated prototyping because the more we fail in a small way, the less scary it becomes and the better we can do in future. So if you're avoiding any of these actions because you are scared of failing, there are things that you can do. And one of my favourite ones, which my mentor mentioned the other day, is making it a game. And if you've ever seen the inner game of tennis, you will remember that the, the way to tackle something you're scared of is to make the first step so small you cannot fail and make it ridiculously small and make it as small as opening a book, you've succeeded. And that might sound completely ridiculous, but very quickly you want to take that a step further and see how far you can go. Make it a game 
rather than something that you're scared of. And for most adults, you are capable of doing that, even if you don't think so. Although common advice is to go for things like time blocking, using Pomodoro in these sprints and things like that. I think none of these procrastination busting techniques work if you haven't got the right emotion going into action. So you can either make it a game, you can make it something that you're really not scared about. You can say, so what if I'm going to fail? I'm going to do it anyway. Heck it and just go for it. And although there are some things you can do practically, take a note of when you are most productive. Is that first thing in the morning? Is it later in the evening? Moving tasks within reason as as far as you can. And you can be in charge of your emotions by changing the language you use. When I talk about moving things around, people often start to talk about prioritising and how complex that is. But what you might discover is that people with ADHD do not respond to tasks because they are important, but because they are interesting and they make them feel good. Interest is an emotion and it's a positive one. So if you're positively interested in something, that is a strong emotion that will allow you to get into action and make that thing a priority even if it's not important. And things that we associate with negative emotions, such as fear and anxiety or past failures, we will put off as long as humanly possible. Of course, the longer we put them off, if they still have to be done, we're likely to rush them and do badly. And then we confirm to ourselves that we can't do this. So the next time it comes around, we're more anxious and we put it off again. Again, some of this is down to our emotional dysregulation anticipating a negative outcome, anticipating anxiety means that we will reduce the priority of that task, even if it's important, because priorities are based on emotions and interest is an emotion. What can you do when you feel that you just can't make something a priority? What are the practical things that you can do? There are emotional coping strategies that we'll look at in a future episode. One of the things people always mention is the Eisenhower matrix, and you've seen it. It's four blocks. There's urgent and important, not urgent, not urgent, not important, and something else. It can work, but the assessment of what is important is the challenging part for most people. Instead, if you go to Dr. Tamara Rosier's book, Your Brain's Not Broken, she has a priority matrix which is designed for people with ADHD. I will include a link to that in the show notes and I highly recommend Your Brain Is Not Broken as a really good book. Again, one of the most important things you can do is acknowledge your emotional response to a task. Ideally discuss it with a peer, a friend, somebody at work that you trust and just lay it out there. I'm thinking about this task, it's making me feel X, I don't want to do it. Could you support me while I do this? Can we break it down? Because that's the other thing you can do. Again, like in the inner game of work, you break it down into the smallest possible task that you cannot fail at and you build it up quite rapidly from there. One of the problems with prioritisation is that we are often required to prioritise tasks that we are not interested in. And as ADHD is an interest-based neurology, for want of a better word, that's not technically right, but it's close enough, We run on interest, not importance, is how I would describe it to most people. If you're not interested in a task, how can you do it even if it's important? That's where you come in. 
there's no one answer that somebody else can give you to make something interesting if you aren't interested. You know what motivates you. And if you don't, I suggest that you take some time to work out what your long-term vision might be, what your values are, what your needs are. And when you've got those, you'll be able to discover how you can make things that are important but not interesting tied to those long-term visions, to your values and to your needs. That is the secret to doing work that's important but not interesting. And I can already hear the comments. I have a job that is not remotely interesting. I work in an office for no money at all. This is irrelevant to me. Actually, it is very relevant to you because you work in that office for a reason. It may be because you want to have your own home. You need to pay for food. You need to pay your electricity and look after your family. So your family is important. Your family is the reason that you go to work and that you do these things. So whenever you're faced with a task that is important but not interesting, bring that thing that is valuable and really meaningful to you into your mind before you begin the task. And just pay attention to how that shifts your emotions around the task. But it is going to change how you view that task. You're the only person who can control how you look at something. And ultimately, that is what's going to make it interesting enough to get done. Because it's interesting in the way that it supports your higher values, your vision. And now we're going to have a quick look at inertia. And I've called this ADHD paralysis in the past, but inertia is just as good an expression. And it's that feeling where you physically cannot move but your brain is spinning out of control because you've got so many things to do, you can't begin, you don't know where to start and it can go on longer and longer until finally you can feel burnt out and have not moved from your couch. A lot of this comes down to your neurological function, to your executive dysfunction and dopamine. When you are dysregulated to that extent, there's no anticipation of joy, there's no anticipation of reward and it could be that you are just seriously under medicated or not taking enough exercise on a daily basis because I hate to say it, exercise makes a huge difference to your dopamine levels and it's one of the most important things you can do, especially if you're feeling this inertia, this ADHD paralysis. It also supports a low mood. Quite often this accompanies the inertia state and when you are feeling completely stuck and you don't know where to begin, easiest thing you can do is get some exercise in whatever form works for you. And that could be a simple block walk. Go around your block. It doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't need to buy equipment. You just need to get out and move. And obviously some people will have mobility issues and that is a problem but on a general basis. Any way you can exercise is going to improve your dopamine level. It's going to improve your neurological state. It's going to improve your aerobic state, which we know increases brain function, blood flow and so on. And it's a first step. We quite often feel resistant because we don't know which the right first step to take is. And in those circumstances, if you don't know what the right step is, any step is the right step anyone. It doesn't have to be a right step that somebody else would agree with, but anything is the right step for you because it is a movement forward. 
you might want to have something like a prompt and I've got a playbook which is available and it's got a lovely graphic that you can print out which prompts you to take action and just move and get your first step uh, out of your inertia state. So external prompts, cues from other people, from your environment and think about routines. With ADHD we often think, I don't like routine. Routine's boring. Routine is boring but it also reduces the need for decision-making, which is one of the reasons we get really stuck. If you're having to make lots of mini decisions, it's wearing out that. It's exhausting your decision-making capability for the day. And if you've got lots and lots of them, then you're going to feel too overwhelmed to take anything, to take any decisions at all. So again, break it down into the smallest possible step you cannot fail at and take it from there. And don't worry about getting it right. Any step is the right step. Although we've just skated over the surface of procrastination, prioritisation and inertia, I think you can probably spot a common theme. One is emotional regulation. And there are ways to incorporate that into your daily life. That means you need to think about your mindfulness. Are you able to do any mindfulness? If not, you can access free apps. There are paid apps. You can do breathing, you can do a mindful walk. But if you're not making space for mindfulness in your daily life, it's more likely that you're going to struggle with these areas that have got quite a high cognitive demand on them. We need to think about, are we recognising our emotional states? Are we tracking our emotions? Are we aware of what circumstance leads to what emotion and the impact that has on our ability to take action. Are we putting the same thing off over and over again because it's connected to a certain feeling, a certain person? What are we doing that's making our emotions react that way to keep us stuck and keep us safe? When you start to address your emotional well-being and learn how to identify and articulate your emotions, it's going to be much easier for you to spot them when they sneak up and hijack what you're trying to do that day when they sabotage your priorities. And of course, we do have to look at the practicalities around planning, prioritisation, procrastination. There are things that you can do. You could set yourself a timer and when this goes off, I will stand up and do the task. Try it. Don't knock it until you've tried it. You might find that you have a I've got a series of apps on my phone that I've tried in the past. The one that works for me is a simple Google calendar with an alarm, which I now tie to my Notion calendar. And that just tells me, okay, it's time to go and do this. I've got enough time before a meeting to prepare. That makes a big difference for me. Emotionally, I can prepare before things. And I set that up in my calendar. And it's making things external as well that helps for me. So you can use apps, you can use timers and alarms, you can use planners. These are fantastic, but you need to do the emotional groundwork as well. Finally, you might want to try journaling about your emotions around different tasks. It's something to think about. Get a simple notebook or an app on your phone. I believe the new, the newest iOS has a journal app. Open that up and just record how you feel. You can use doodles, you can use happy or smiley or sad faces to record how each task makes you feel, what you're experiencing before you start to do something or when you think about it. How far ahead of a task do you begin to feel that urge to procrastinate, that 
lack of connection, that fear or anxiety about not doing a good enough job. Get all of this out of your head because instead of it being in there and swirling around, you're able to look at it objectively. And if you're lucky enough to have a a trusted friend or a family member that you can ask to go over this with you, by all means do that. Because sometimes all we need is someone to reflect our thoughts back to us. They don't need to have, you know, the answer. And I would hesitate to go to people that say they do have the answer because nobody else can manage your emotional response to something for you. But they can help you to recognise how you're responding emotionally. And that can be the thing that unlocks your ability to dive into tasks and get things done to shake up your routine, to approach things with a new zeal and zest, a new energy for getting things out of the way and understanding what really values and matters to you. None of this is easy. It's simple, but it's not easy. As all things that are worth doing are. The important thing is that you're listening and you're ready to change. You're interested in changing. You know that you want to be able to do things without gut-turning feeling of dread and anxiety. That's what matters. And the fact that you've listened and hopefully you've taken a couple of notes or you're going to listen again is the first step to changing your relationship with these tasks that until now you've been putting off or dreading or that have kept you stuck. And I believe that you can do it. Because every single person has incredible depths of possibility within them. Imagine the possibility of a life where you don't dread things and put them off. How fantastic would that feel? If you need help finding that sense of possibility, I'm running some webinars next year, once a month, to help and explore some of the big topics that I think will help you to make progress make sure that you've signed up for my newsletter you're following the podcast because I will be mentioning them in every episode and of course I've got lots of free resources available in my store you can find that in a link in the show notes and if you're listening to this on social media you can find it in the profile at the top of a page and I genuinely hope that they are going to be powerful in helping you to find out what's possible for your life in 2024 I want to thank you again for listening today and for all of the time that you've given me in the last 10 episodes. I'm incredibly grateful for everyone who's got in touch, everyone who's listened. If you've left a review or a rating, thank you from the bottom of my heart. We got to number 42 in the UK last week, which is absolutely mind-blowing. And from January, I will be releasing the episodes on a Wednesday instead of a Friday so that you've got my company during the week as well. Until then, as this goes out on the 22nd of December, I want to wish everyone a very happy, prosperous and successful 2024 when it comes. And I will be back on the 3rd of January 2024. Thank you for joining us today on Powerful Possibilities, Navigating ADHD from New Diagnosis and Beyond. We're all about equipping you with the tools and insights that you need to thrive. If you found value in this episode, please subscribe and share it with someone else you know who might benefit or who you want to understand you better. Remember, 
Your journey with ADHD is an ongoing journey of growth, but you're not alone anymore. Until next time, this is Catherine, reminding you that with the right guidance, the possibilities really are powerful and endless. Take care.